Okay, well, today we're going we're gonna to get into a word that I hope will bring you a real sense of liberation from freedom, liberation from uh, stuff we beat ourselves up over, liberation from judging us, liberation from other Christians judging you, which is a big one sometimes, because you're not spiritual enough, and so on and so forth. Let me just say from the outset, well, let's pray first. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you that you love us. I thank you, Jesus, that you died and you rose again, that you are victorious, that you are all authoritative in us, Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are our judge and that you will not judge us over our sin because you've already judged us for that, but you will judge us for our works, Lord. And I pray that our crowns, that we would receive, would glorify you in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. For a lot of Christians, we, in Christendom, there seems to be fashions that sweep through the Christian world. And if you were as old as Mike, you would have seen some of these fashions. And they're all different types of things, and people chase after the latest happening, the latest manifestation, the latest fashion, the latest thing. And sometimes it is God. God does do things sometimes for a season. But generally, the character of God is unchanging. And the word of God, we know, is unchanging. But there are some things that go around the Christian world that are almost like fashionable and like hip words that come in and movements that come in. And we just have to really make sure that we're standing on the word of God. Uh, in terms of things like uh, spiritual warfare, I believe 100% in spiritual warfare. Is spiritual warfare needed for today, even though Jesus died at the cross and beaten Satan and every demon and power and principality? Yes. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities and those things that oppress us. I believe in divine healing, absolute healing, miraculous healing. God can do it. Do I believe in it with all of my heart? Do I believe in freedom from demonic oppression? Oppression. Absolutely, 100%. They're these things that I believe in, and they have their place. But what I want to do this morning is look at how do we gain victory in a fallen world. This world is fallen, and we can forget that. And we seem to live sometimes as if we, we are in heaven with the fullness of all what salvation is right now. That's not going to happen. You've received in part. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. We haven't received all what salvation is yet. We've received part, but not all of it. And so that can cause us to have a misunderstanding of the word of God. This can cause us to face things uh, that add lots of dis disappointment in the Christian walk. Why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? Why am I going through this? All things like that. But our current life, I mean, this body you will be evicted from at some point, okay? And some of us don't want that. We want to keep carrying on living in the body for as long as possible. 
And so we pamper it and look after it and the slightest twinge and we're running to the doctor in case my leg's going to fall off. But one day you will be evicted from this body and you'll be present at home with the Father in glory at some point. We have an inheritance that will never spoil or never fade. So how we're living right now, we're not living in the fullness of that inheritance because I'm going grey. You might not know it, but my eyebrows have got guitar strings growing through them and they go different direction to all the other ones, you know? And no matter how many times I pluck it out, I've given up plucking it out. I nearly shaved them off completely this morning. Uh, if you look closely, look back on the video, if you look closely, this one's got a little wedge in it. That's not a fashion statement. All right? Caleb, it's not a fashion statement wherever you are. That was a mistake. I went too close with the razor. But we live in a fallen world and we forget that. We seem to think we're living in paradise and it's not paradise, people. And because we had this misconception, we are walking around under a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation, a lot of false hopes, a lot of scripture taken totally out of place. And we read the scripture and say, oh, that's the one for me. I'll name, name it, claim it, and frame it. Put it on the wall, this, that, and that. It weren't meant for you. You can't claim that scripture. That was an individual situation that happened then. It wasn't for you. But we claim scriptures as if they're direct promises to us. This is exciting. You're excited. It's good, isn't it? We're going to get some freedom this afternoon. Amen? So let's look at the fall and the effects of the fall on Adam and Eve. The fall came in through rebellion. Rebellion is what caused the fall. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 16. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, God speaking, to the woman, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, You've listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat of the... Uh, eat bread till you return to the ground for from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you will return. That is the fall of humanity. That was the curse on the ground. See, thorns and thistles and briars, Adam and Eve had never seen them. Adam and Eve, Eve had never experienced death or decay, or weeds, or anything. That wasn't there. None of that was a part of the fall. All they'd experienced was life, and that what was good. And then suddenly, because of the fall, a donkey dies, or weeds start to grow up, or this becomes a problem. That is a part of the fallen world, and we still live in that fallen world. 
Amen? The, the, the world, this earth, this physical earth is falling. It will not last forever. This earth is under the curse and God says he will do away with the heavens, do away with the earth, create a new heavens and a new earth. Amen? So for all of you preserve the earth society, God bless you. You're doing a great job, but there will be a new one at some point. I do believe we should look after what we've got though. Okay, So we are living in the, the effects of Adam and Eve's sin, that fall. So we live on an earth where before the fall, Adam and Eve, there was nothing polluted on this earth. It was perfect. Absolutely wonderful. The fall came in because they sinned, tempted by Satan. They sinned, and because of that, Adam and Eve both received personal curses onto their life, and the earth itself, became cursed, and Satan became cursed. Okay? So we live in a fallen world. Everywhere we look, we can see we live in a fallen world. Sickness, disease, conflict, war, pain, are all consequences of that situation in the garden from the curse. They're all the consequences of it. And that came through disobedience by Adam and Eve. And the reality is, we Christians are not immune from the effect of the fallen state. We're not immune from it. Now you might want to float around on your holy Joe cloud and say, oh, nothing can touch me, da 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 No, right, come off your holy Joe cloud and be realistic. You live and breathe, you breathe air, you breathe... Things. things go wrong, you lose your temper, we have sin imparted to us, we drop the ball, we get fed up, all these different things. You go out to the garden, what is your little part of the garden paradise? Got no weeds in your garden. Oh, they grow everywhere else in the world, but not this garden, Christian garden. Born again, Christian garden, no weeds in my garden. Well, let me tell you a reality, there's no weeds in my garden. Because I've got astroturf. <laughs> I do literally have astroturf, it's fake. Okay, so we don't get no weeds, it's great. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We seem to be, be there seems to be this mentality that we're going to float through life without a slightest issue, nothing should bother us. You know what, life comes at you 200 mile an hour sometimes. Things happen, we react badly. Sometimes we react well. Sometimes I've got brownie points this morning. I made Mara breakfast in bed. Now I've just lost all those brownie points because I told you. Uh, but it's her birthday tomorrow. She said, Have you got confused? It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm like, No, no, I haven't. Yogurts and uh, yogurts and uh, yogurts, coffee. Do you know what she likes? She likes black coffee with two sugars, toast, loads of butter because of her cholesterol, and then dip the toast in the coffee like it's a biscuit and eat it. Honest. I think that's a part of the fall, by the way. So, we're not immune to these things. We face heartache. We lose people, the death of loved ones, sicknesses that people have, being deaf. 
Man, the stories I've, I could tell you about being deaf that are I'm going to tell you this one. It's a bit close to home, Rachel. I'm going to, going to confess something publicly that I did to Rachel. Rachel calls me a couple of weeks ago, and she's crying on the phone, going through a situation. But because I can't hear very well, I'm trying to, I'm plucking words out of the air. Because in it, she's really crying and trying to get, I'm plucking words, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that, I'm putting it together. Right, okay, I think I've got it. And to my understanding, she said, my, my dad had passed away. This was a few weeks ago. My dad had passed away. And I'm like, oh, Rachel, I know how difficult these things are. You know, we're going to keep praying for you, everything else, so on and so forth. So then, she must have thought I was mad. Then I said to Roz, wait, Roz, Roz is a personal intercessor, and I found her. I said, Roz, something personal I need to you pray for. Can you please pray for Rachel and the family because she's lost her father? You know, it's going to be really tough. So can you pray for them? So I said, no problem, Pastor Matthew. A couple of days later, she phoned me and said, shall I get a sympathy card? I said, see, that's why you're a woman. Brilliant. Get a sympathy card. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So she comes to church on Sunday. By the way, her father had not passed away at this point. I've heard wrong. So Rod sees Rachel and gives her a hug, says, so sorry for your loss, and here's a sympathy card. And Rachel's like, he hasn't, he hasn't died, he's not passed away. So Rod's like, oh, I'll keep the sympathy card. <laughs> Do you know, the mistakes I've made, now sadly we need to pray for Rachel and her family because father, dad has now passed away. But do you know what I'm saying? We live in a fallen world. You know, I would love to be able to hear. My children wouldn't want me to hear. They, they won't pray for healing for me because they find it far more fun, <laughs> don't you? They love it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. But we live in a fallen world, we get things wrong, there is illness, there is disease, and these challenges that we face, okay? Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, Moses is the reluctant leader. You get some people in life, they want to be a leader. Pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, like little minions. Pick me, pick me. And if they don't get picked, they're upset and offended. <gasps> you picked that other person, and you didn't pick me, you know. Uh, but Moses was the opposite. He didn't want to be picked. He'd already experienced leadership in uh, Egypt. He didn't want to be picked. He wanted to mind his own business. God comes along and picks him. Okay, And at one point, it is so stressful for Moses, he is so stressed with the situation, and we see Moses as a holy man of God, and he's got it all together. He's so stressed, he looks at God and says, surely it would be better, talking about leadership, surely it would be better if you killed me than make me lead these people. You know, That's the level he got to. You know, I'd rather be dead than have to lead these, this great nation of yours. You know? He struggled in it, but all what Moses did, you know, having to overcome his own weaknesses, having to overcome his, his stammer, having to go back to, into Egypt, having to face his, his uh, step family and all these different things, he finally gets, gets 
the people liberated and praised his miracles, he still drops the ball and does things in anger because that's a part of a weakness that he had, was anger. Frustra he got frustrated with the people. He's like, he didn't have a dog, otherwise he'd kick it. But he had a stick and he smashes it on the rock and he's frustrated. And sometimes we can be a Moses. But in all of, in all of it, he absolutely loves God and he's faithful to the call. Faithful to the call. And what is the call? Get these people to the promised land. So for Moses, he must have a vision of the promised land. He's got to get all these people there. And finally, verse 51, because you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Merbeth in Kadesh in the desert of Zin, because you did not uphold my holiness amongst the Israelites, therefore you will, uh, you will see the land from a distance. You will not enter the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. What? 40 years of expectation. 40 years of desert walking. 40 years of hope. 40 years of, of vision. And do you know what? All what he expected. He's the leader expected to go in first, and God turns around and says, you're not going in. You can see it, but you're not going to have it. Can you imagine the tantrum we would have if that was a 40 years of trying to get to, and now I'm not going to get in it? Wow. And it didn't work out for Moses. And do you know what? He died on that mountain. And you think, well, was he a failure then? How did he feel? Did he feel rejected by God? Did he feel unloved by God? Was he under a curse? Was it some kind of, some kind of uh, demonic thing that was going on? What was going on? But he only got to see it from a distance. And he didn't actually get there. Gideon. Gideon was hiding in a wine press from the Midianites who were terrorizing the Israelites. Okay? And uh, Judges 6, you'll find this, I'm not going to read the whole story, but Judges 6 verse 11 describes the story. And it says, And the angel of the Lord come down under the oak of opera that belonged to Jesus the Azabis, Azarite, son, uh, where the son of Gideon was fresh, where Gideon his son was fresh in the wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon's doing it in a wine press, which was a sunken, uh, like you'd step down into it, so that the Midianites didn't see it, because the Midianites kept sending out raiding parties, and the raiding parties would come into the Israelites and nick all their stuff and then clear off. So Gideon's trying to be smart, and he's trying to deal with all the wheat in such a way that the Midianites wouldn't be able to come along and take it. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Not you mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Do you know what? That's enough. That's enough. That's it. That should be enough to know God is with me in the situation. That should be enough irrespective of our situation. 
But what we want, we don't want to hear God is with me in the situation. We want God get me out of the situation. That's what we want. That's what we want. I don't, when I'm in the mire and I'm going through trouble, I don't want somebody to come up to me and say, oh, don't worry about it. God's with you in it. Oh, I don't want God to be with me in it. My wife's with me in it. I want God to get me out of it. But sometimes God will leave you in it. And you know what? It's the best place for you to be. God could have set Paul free in prison. He kept him in prison. God could have set uh, Joseph free from prison. He kept him in prison. Why? Because it was the best place for them. They were going to gain something that was so important that they could only learn it through this failure. And we don't like the word failure. I'm not a failure. I've never failed. Don't put that on me. You're tarnishing my image. Failure. Most of the men of God, their biggest testimonies is that they screwed up and God saved them. At the end of the day, they failed miserably. Some of us time and time again. Paul failed so much, he said, you know, I'm the greatest of all sinners. That's how much he failed. A constant failure, and we think he just floated around so wonderful. He was a failure. He said, I don't do what I should do, and I do do what I shouldn't. I'm a mess. And God said, I can do something with a mess. I can use that mess to bring something beautiful out of it. I can use that. I want to get in that mess and manifest myself so that people can look at the mess and say, well, there must be a God, because how could you make sense of that person? And, and Paul says, and I will boast in my weaknesses. We don't cover them up, cover them up. Don't let anybody know. Just out of uh, pulled up in church car park, you're still wanting to kill each other. Oh, let's just go in and smile at everyone. Where Paul's the vow, you wait till you get home. She says to her husband, you wait till you get home. And we said it to the kids, right? You know you can't deal with them right now. It's embarrassing. You're on holy cloud mode. You can't deal with them. So you say, you wait till you get home. And the kids are just praying, Lord, make their memory go. Make their memory go. Make their memory go. Remove their mind. You know? Because otherwise you're going to get it when you get in. But Gideon's hiding. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And the words are the same for all of us. God is with us. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is, ha is with us, why is all this happening to us? How many times have you said that? God, if you're with me, if you're real, why am I going through this? Why have I got ill health? Why did my business fail? Why did my wife have a brain tumour? Why can't I park outside the house for once? Why are you not with me? And that's what we do. Mara comes in for work. For once, for the love of God! I'm not asking for a miracle. I'm not asking Jesus to come. I'm just asking for my husband and my two sons to press the button on the dishwasher. That would be enough. I don't want manna in the desert. I don't want water coming out of a rock. I just want a finger on a button. That would be it. 
but God says is manifesting in your weaknesses. But we've done it. Lord, if you love me, why are you letting me go through this? If you love me, I love my children. I wouldn't let them go through this. You're my heavenly father. You love me more than anyone could love me with the purest love. And you could stop this situation. You can do anything, anything. There's nothing impossible for God. But you're not. And so as children, we feel unloved. But my children, especially Caleb, if you won't give him what he wants, that's it, Mr. Sulky Pants, goes out the room, puts sulky pants trousers on, do them up, and sulk for the rest of the day. You know? He conned me with Abby yesterday. They conned me into getting two blimmin' rabbits. They would come back from the shop with two rabbits. Mind you, I petrified the assistant in the pet shop. This girl come along and said, could we ask some questions about these rabbits? These two want a rabbit. She said, anything at all, what would you like to know? I said, right, can I air fry them or do I just put them straight in the oven? <laughs> this poor girl, I mean, she was there, hook, line and sinker. She really was. She was like, oh, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I think I better, I better walk away from this situation. But yeah, conned into a rabbit. That's yesterday, right? Not even 24 hours, Abby. Not even 24 hours. What's he trying to con me with this morning? Blimmin' dog. <laughs> Blimmin' Alsatian. And Caleb's the best negotiator you'll ever meet in life. Do you know what he does? Right, dog's 1,250 quid. White Alsatian, lovely. Shit, Mara's still in bed. I'm half awake, half asleep, hair everywhere, dog breath. If I breathe on the cat, it's going to die. That's how bad it is, you know? And so, and then it's, oh, Dad, I found this, found this, found this dog. I said, Caleb, what happened? Diego barely sees daylight. He's only this big. You never take him for what you said that you would. You want Alsatian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a joint thing. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's 1250 I'm thinking, Abby, she doesn't even live with us. He said, I'm thinking, Abby, Luke, you and mum, split it, £312.15p each. Done. I'll get paid on Monday, he goes, like some brilliant thing. And I'm like, I don't want a blimmin' dog! Why are you doing this to me? What are you doing, Caleb? And that's how he it's, it's not like, Dad, I will buy the dog, and I will feed it, and I will look after it, and I will pay for it. It's, Dad, we will get a dog, we will all pay for it, we will all feed it, and you lot will walk it, because I can't be bothered. That's his negotiating skills. And do you know what, my mug? I fall for it sometimes. Why? I like dogs. Yeah. Cars. I've got a car. I'm happy with my car. It's online. Dad, do you know what you can do? You can chip your car in for this. You can swap it for that. You can do finance like this. You turn it around like that. Hey, presto, bang. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you just get right out of our house. That cast you out. Honest, that boy. Anyway, Gideon, let's get, stay on Gideon. So Gideon says, why? Why, Lord, has this happened? Where are all the wonders? The people look for signs and wonders. Where are all the wonders, Gideon? Because Gideon wants to wonder. Where are the wonders? Where are the signs? Prove yourself to me. 
Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. See, and that's how we feel sometimes. God's not doing what I want, so he's abandoned me. And Gideon said, but now the Lord's abandoned us. Where are the signs? We're abandoned. And the Lord said to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He didn't give him supernatural strength. He said, go in the strength you have. But what he did give him was a plan. He gave him a plan. He gave him wisdom. He gave him a way of conquering in that situation. But Gideon still comes back. But I can't do it. I'm the weakest. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least of my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. Struck them all down. I will be with you. When will the church get to the point that God with us is enough? Accept it. Thine dear own presence to cheer and to guide. That's the place I want to get to personally. That just the presence of the Lord is enough to cheer and to guide. If he does this for me, wonderful. If he don't do it for me, wonderful. I know you're sovereign and you're enough. And that's it. I don't need God to prove himself to me. Now sometimes, me and Ricky were talking about this, sometimes you get people, they seem so full of faith and they've sinned, they want to see this happen, they want to see that happen, they want to see this happen and they're all over the world on the, on the plane going to different conferences and all this. And then we got there and said, maybe these people aren't as mature and faith-filled as they think. Maybe they need to see these things to assure them of their faith. See, Jesus said, blessed are you who have sinned and believed. How much more blessed are those who believe yet have not sinned? That's a great level of faith. And sometimes we might turn around and say, oh, I wish I was part of the 12 who saw this, who experienced that. And I understand, I'm like that. I would like to have been there in the days of Jesus. And, you know, but ultimately... Gideon tried to make every excuse not to do what God wanted him to do. He had to let go of his fears and trust God and God's ability for his own sake. Jonah faced disappointment. God told Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, go to the great city of the Negev and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tartarus instead. He didn't want to do it. Why didn't he want to do it? Because he was a judgmental so-and-so and and he didn't think that those people deserved salvation. He wouldn't go to them. That's why. He was being judgmental. Jonah 1.17, it says... Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And you get people taking scriptures out of context. That's for me. That's the scripture. Why do you need that scripture? I'm going to the Great Barrier Reef. I'm going snorkeling. And I'm holding on to that scripture. (coughs) 
That's a promise for, for all us Christians that we can get swallowed up by a wow. And that's how scriptures get so taken and people build their life on a scripture promise what was not for you. It was not for me. I can't build my life on that. In actual fact, the King James Version makes it even clearer. It says, now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The difference is it says the Lord prepared a fish. And people are now were saying, oh, can a fish eat a man? And there's all these debates and scientific, scientific people are looking into it. And well, we've discovered this shark whale and that a man could possibly fit in and we've discovered this one. God prepared a fish. He prepared one fish, not a whole fleet of them. He weren't doing this every Saturday night. This was a one-off occurrence. One off. He prepared one fish. You're probably never going to find that fish. It's dead and buried. And he made, he prepared it specifically for that purpose. But we take scripture out of context. We say, let's go. Let's go find the fish that killed the ate Jonah. You know? You're not going to find it. We need to think, keep things in context sometimes. King David, what worshipper of all worshippers, what does he want to do? All he wants to do is build a temple of worship. That's it. That's all he wants to do. And God doesn't allow him. God says, no, you're not going to do it. And it's the greatest desire. Of da David didn't particularly want to be a man of war, but God used him in that area. David was a worshipper. And David wanted to build a, a temple for worship to God. And it's righteous, and it sounds holy, and it sounds like a good thing. And God said, no. And what, what do most Christians do? Get the army Satan at that point. Get the army Satan, get the army Satan. We rebuke that, we rebuke this, we rebuke the other. Da, da, da. In actual fact, no, that was God. God said no. You know, we don't do very well with no. You know, but I want to, it's a good thing. There might be a good thing, but God wants you to do something different to that. And it's not competition. Sometimes you see people, they've got brilliant testimony of how God set them free from being in prison and doing heroin and robbing banks and beating their wives and, you know, doing all sorts of things. And, and your testimony is not quite as life-shocking. You think, well, you know, kind of went to school, met my wife in church, got married, <laughs> couple of kids, been faithful, didn't do, uh, uh, I don't compare to that person with that brilliant testimony. Oh, how silly. It's a bit like the prodigal sons. The one son went off, made a mess, come back, God honoured him, puffed smoke up his nose and put on a party and everything. The other son gets jealous, who's been at home doing his job, what he should have done, and he doesn't realise that was a greater thing than the one running off. And he gets jealous of the criminal brother because he thinks he's something special in the eyes of the father. Oh, sibling rivalry. Second Samuel, chapter 12. Then David said to, to Nathan, Nathan was a great prophet and support in David's life. And you need people that can speak into your life. You need them. Don't get so big that you've decided you can't learn from anyone. You're right on everything. 
We need people. And Nathan, David needed Nathan the prophet to put him on the straight and narrow. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because of what you have done, showed utter contentment from the Lord. The son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that was Uriah's wife, born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with the Lord for the life of the child. He spent time fasting. Day and night, he laid in sackcloth and ashes on the ground. The elders of the household stood be beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. So he's pleading and he's intercessing and he's fighting and he's trying to, he wants this child to live and do all, you know, but God had already made a decision this wasn't going to happen. And eventually the child dies. And at this point, David said he's dead, gets up from the ground, has a wash, puts on lotions, changes his clothes, went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. I love this man. He's been fighting for that loved child to live. He's been, nobody could console him. He can't eat, he can't drink, he can't sleep, he can't do anything. Everyone's petrified. Who's going to tell him that the child has died? But when he finds out the child has died, he gets up, he prepares himself, he gets himself ready, and he gets before God and worships. We get before God and say, How could you? Why did you? And we get all, oh, we're greater than God. But David, in humility, he just worships. He's just broken, he just gets before God. He says, I don't know why, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't have any art. And he just worships God. Oh, imagine being at that place. And, and God says, this is a man after my own heart. So powerful. So powerful. Mary, her son was prophesied to be the king. Yet she's at the foot of the cross looking at her son dying. Yet the prophecy, he's going to be the king. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you letting your only begotten son die as a thief on a cross when you sent an angel who prophesied to me that he would reign on the throne of David forever and ever and ever and of his government there would be no end. And now I'm looking at my baby boy who I didn't even ask for dying on a cross. There was a bigger picture at Calvary. And sometimes there's a bigger picture that God is doing in, in our lives. We're part of it, but it's so much bigger sometimes. And we have to trust God's sovereignty. You've got to trust God's sovereignty. And then Jesus dies a sinner's death. And you think, what? He had to die a sinner's death. He had to redeem Somebody had to die and be a curse on a cross to remove the curse that had been put on humanity. And the wages of sin were death. 
and somebody had to pay the wages of sin and somebody had to redeem us from death. And this was the only way. But Mary did not understand. The disciples did not understand. And you will go through things in life you will simply not understand. And and you know what? You'll be a lot healthier when you stop looking for answers. You'll burn yourself out trying to find the answer. Why didn't this happen? I fasted, I prayed, I did this, I did that, I honoured God, I paid my taxes, I prepared the right plan, I projected for it, I did all these things, and yet still, do you know what? Save yourself the hassle, just trust God is sovereign, say, I don't know why, Lord, but you do, that's enough for me. Because we desire justification sometimes. Eleven. Eleven. The, the, the twelve disciples, okay, twelve disciples, they saw Jesus raise the dead, uh, heal the leper, feed the 4,000, feed the 5,000, walk on water, calm the seas. You, you come from that environment and you're Holy Spirit pumped on adrenaline. You believe God can do anything. There's nothing too great for my God. I've experienced his faithfulness time and time again. And these disciples must have been so pumped up and so full of faith and so courageous. Yet 11 were murdered. What? But they were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. They were traveling all around uh, uh, Asia Minor. They were doing this, that and the other. These are Holy Ghost Apostles, first-generation Christians, with Jesus himself doing the business, well, where was their protection? Why did Satan get the better of them? Why did this happen? Why was this? Why was this? Why was that? Because we live in a fallen world. There's a wonderful young man I respect who decided a couple of years ago to go and evangelise to an island which was uninhabited. They said to him, don't do it, don't do it, You'll end up dead. What did he do? Goes in there full of faith. They killed him. He died. Same as the one takes snakes to church. Oh, they they're, they're tread on snakes. It will not harm them. So this pastor takes a whole pot of snakes to church and getting them all out. See? Won't harm me. Won't bang. Bit him on the neck. Died. 40 years old. Life comes at you. If you go on this roof and jump off, you're going to fill it. You're going to get a bump, at least. Life comes at us. Yes, we want it to be perfect. Yes, we want paradise. Yes, we don't want there to be any pain or any tears or any heartache. But there is. And Jesus said there would be. He never said there wouldn't. He said, you will have trouble in this world. But I have overcome the world. But you will have trouble in the world. Why? Because we live in an unregenerated, fallen world. Paul desired to go to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain. Romans 1, chapter, uh, Romans 1, verse 11. I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. That is, that you and I might mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I plan to come to you many times, but have been prevented from doing so until now. This is the great Apostle Paul. 
but it's a fallen world. And there were, he couldn't go. I don't know what had happened at this point. It doesn't document it. But things happened that meant he couldn't go to Spain. He couldn't go. He wanted to go, and he had a good righteous re reason. Wonderful uh, intent to go. But it didn't happen. And he longed to go many times. See, and sometimes we can go through life and we want to do this and we want to do that. It doesn't happen. We beat ourselves up. I haven't got the faith. I'm not getting healed because I haven't got enough faith. My business failed because I've not got enough faith. I lost that person in my life and they died because I don't have enough faith. This happened to me because I, what a load of rubbish. That's Satan talking. That's powers and principalities getting into your head. That's the battlefield. And you're sitting there guilty because you haven't got healed, because you've got a, 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 a dodgy knee. Now, if God chooses to heal you, wonderful, and I believe in that, I want that for you. But if he doesn't, be full of the joy, Julie, with your dodgy knee or your bad back. And she's got a dodgy knee, there you go. But be full of the joy of the Lord, be a testimony. You know what, I might have a bad knee, but I've got lovely hips, you know? Yeah! <laughs> You know, she ain't got good hips either. Oh dear, come on, we're getting to the bottom of the bag now. Help me out, Michael, please. But do you know what I'm saying? You know? I would love God to heal me from my hearing loss. And I think in my family, if they knew I got healed, the amount of people what could get saved and come to faith. But God is not doing it. I don't know why. I just accept it. And in the meantime, I think, well, use me in it. Even in spite of that, glorify yourself in it. And it's a falling world. Look, here's reality. And I'm, don't get all worried that I'm putting curses on you. I'm not. This is reality. Unless Jesus Christ comes home to rapture the church to himself in the sky, all of us are going to die. All of us. We are going to die a natural death. And we live in a world now where we're just fighting it. Years ago, you just got old and died and you went to be with your ancestors, whatever. The reality is this. You might die of a brain hemorrhage. You might die of a sugar beetus attack. You might die getting run over. You might die of cancer. You might die for the sake of it. <laughs> you might get run over. You might die of liver cancer. You might die of something else. You might die of boredom if I don't stop preaching. You might go, you know what I mean? We're all going to die. As Satan, let me ask you, as Satan gone round, right, I'm going to give, curse that one with this illness to knock her off. I'll curse this one with that illness to knock her off. I'm going to curse that one with this one to knock her off. Satan is not omnipresent. Jesus is omnipresent, not Satan. And yes, there are powers and principalities that, and we can do things that involve sickness, but I'm generalising this morning because we're mature in the body of Christ. At the end of the day, each of us are going to pop our clogs and they're going to put on your death certificate one cause or another. You know? That, that, at the end of the day, we live in a fallen world. You've got to die of something. You know, your body's got to give up. You've got to be evicted. From this body at some, that's why Paul said, it's better to be at home and present with God, with the Father. That's what he wanted. He said, I'd rather be at home and be with God than be stuck with you lot, but I ain't got my choice. It's almost like we're doing time, you know? 
But at the end of the day, do you understand where I'm coming from? We live in a fallen world. It's just life. It's not got any deeper. Don't go looking for gremlins where there aren't any. It's just life. I woke up this morning and I had a twitchy nose. Why are you laughing? I did. I woke up this morning and I had a twitchy nose. It felt itchy. I felt like I was going to sneeze. Do you know what? It wasn't a curse. It wasn't anything. It was just life. And it's probably because, oh no, their rabbits couldn't possibly stay in the shed. Go downstairs, they're blocked off everything using my units. There's two rabbits running around the blooming front room. Yeah, dog's been evicted, can't go in there. Yeah, and I feel this twinge. So what did I do? I took some Puritan. And it says on the thing, uh, for allergies, it says on the thing, for, like, take two scoops of Puritan if you've got an allergy. One, two, Marvel's not here, three. <laughs> Well, I'm being honest, that would do the job. So when I'm at church this afternoon, I'm not sneezing over everybody. Oh, it's the presence of the Lord. No, it's the presence of my past Matthew sneezing at you. That's what you felt. You get no gold dust in this church, I'm afraid. You need to go to the Americans for that. But it's just part of a fallen world. And Paul wanted to do things. He planned things. He thought it was God. It didn't happen. He didn't split his wrists over it and say, I'm under a curse, I've failed God. Why does God not? It just didn't work out. The business is failing today, economic climate. It's just, you know, don't beat yourself up over these things. That's what I'm trying to hit home this morning. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul speaking, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then he is strong. Well, you're going to go through stuff, and it's going to be hard. But God is with you, in it, right there, every step of the way. He doesn't abandon you at one point. There was a preacher years ago who used to say, when you go into a nightclub or when you sin, that's when God turns the other way. Do you know that? That is wrong theology. Read your Bible. The only time in all of human history and all of eternity that God ever turns away was when his son died on a cross because he took the sin of the world and he took my sin. And that's why even when I fall, God looks at me as a father and says, come on, donut. Yeah, he doesn't, probably. Come on, donut, get up. Get out, put yourself right. But we can beat ourselves up. Do we give Satan too much credit? Job and Peter. Satan afflicted Job and with Peter as well. But on both occasions, Old Testament, New Testament, Satan had to get Pacific permission. He couldn't just go beating up on Peter. He had to get permission to do that. And Jesus said, 
Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm with you. He didn't say, oh no, because you're filled with the Spirit, because you're this, because you're that, it's not going to happen. He said, but I'm with you. I'm with you. That's enough. That's enough. I'm with you. I'd rather go through the mire with God with me than have a perfect life with God without me. Sometimes we beat ourselves up, as I said, not being, I'm not spiritual enough. Yes, you are. The Bible says you are. You are spiritual enough. Maybe you don't read your Bible as much as you should. Maybe you don't pray as much as you should. Maybe you don't give as much as you should. But you are fully spiritual enough and seated in Christ in heavenly places. He did it. Don't accuse him of doing a bad job. He did a good job. He did a perfect job. And he said, and do you know what? It's finished. I've had enough. In the old tabernacle, in the, the old tabernacle with all the furniture there and everything else and so on and so forth, the priest could not sit down. There was no chair because he had to constantly be working and, and covering the sins, you know? But when Jesus finished his job, the father looked at him and said, come sit down. Didn't say that to a single priest in thousands of years. They couldn't even have a chair in the tabernacle. But when Jesus finished the job, the father said, come sit down. Done. Come sit down. You ain't got to jump up and down every five It's done. It's finished. <laughs> Wonderful. What glory. We don't have a man who died on the cross. We have the son of God. And he did everything. He did it perfectly and completely. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. In the face of disappointment, we are called to submit. In the face of disappointment, submit. Submit. Don't get on a battle. Don't think you can take God on and that's fine. Just submit. And we will all face disappointment daily. We do. What did Jesus say to the disciples? If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross. That's what he said. He was saying, look, it's going to be tough. You're going to follow me. You're going to want to respond to people but you won't be able to because you're going to want to me instead. You're going to want to do this, that and the other, but you're not going to be able to because you're a son or daughter of mine. It's going to be tough. You're, in, you're basically going to have to deny your will and put that aside to the will of God. There are many times, I'm very honest with God, I said, Lord, I do not want to do this, but I submit to your will. But me personally... I don't want to do it. But I submit my personal feelings and I say, your will be done. But please let your will be the same as mine. It would be nice. Huh? John 16.33 I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? 
Jesus said it. I've told you these things so that you'll have peace in the situation. And the peace, the peace in the situation is God is with me in it. That's the peace. <laughs> even the, even today's society, look at what's happening. Don't turn on the... It's, it's just bad news, left, right and centre on the TV. Constantly. But I am with you in it. What did David say? I would rather one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. One day I would swap for one thousand anywhere else, in any Persian king or kingdom, anything, I would rather have one day in the desert with Jesus, one day on a fishing boat eating fish. I'm going to be in trouble if we got fish in heaven. I don't like fish. I hope that they can convert to lamb or pork or beef or McDonald's or something. I don't know what we're going to do. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Amen? Outwardly we're wasting away. It's falling apart. You brush your hair. There's more hair on the brush than your head. Brush your teeth. You get another one. She had a tooth break yesterday. And she went, oh, oh, I don't know. I think she was eating the yogurt. She said, oh, oh no. My, my tooth, it's broke. My boat, it's broke. Oh, I can't believe it. Another bit's come off. And then she turned around and said, oh, I don't want to have dentures. That's what she said. I don't want to have dentures. I said, you're wasting away, love. Yet inwardly we are being renewed daily. The renewing of your spirit is happening faster than the decaying of your body. And the decaying of your body is not eternal, but the renewing of your spirit is for eternity. For our life is momentary trouble. Our life is momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Ah, wonderful. We are eternal through the sealing of the Holy Spirit and there awaits for us a heavenly inheritance. Right now, we live on the earth. But this scripture is what we're going to get. It's where we're going to be. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I looked, uh, and I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. 
Amen! There will be no more death or past or mourning or crying or pain for the old order under the curse, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is what's coming down the path for every single one of us. Right now, we are saved. We are sealed with the Spirit. We're full of the Spirit. We have authority over the demonic realm, physical realm. We are uh, prince, uh, kings and princes to serve our God. But right now, we live in a fallen world. Things go wrong. Stop trying to make it all so super spiritual when it's just life. Stop beating yourself up because you haven't been healed. Stop beating yourself up because you're single and haven't got a man. Stop beating yourself up because of this. Stop beating yourself. Get away from all of this stuff. That ain't your portion. It's not your portion. Now, my pray for all of you, prayer for all of you, is that you will be in good health and prosper and do fantastic and everything else. But reality is, I'm here for every one of your disasters as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are all authority. Thank you that you've chosen us. Thank you that you love us. Lord, I pray that you help us to, to manage when things go wrong, when we have miscarriages, when we get the sack from our job, when we didn't get the job we wanted, when we failed the driving test, when the business plan didn't work, when our children rebelled and we thought they never would. Whatever it is, Lord, help us have victory in a fallen world. Cause us to walk with our head up high. Cause us to say, well, yes, just like Daniel, Shadrach and Abednego, if our God saves us, then he saves us. But if he does not, he is no less God. That's when people will look at the church and say, do you know what, I think there's a God. How can you handle the things you handle? There must be a God. Tell me about this God. I want to know about this God. Father, use our weaknesses to glorify yourself. Help us to be willing to expose ourselves if you're going to be glorified through it. Father, set us free from guilt because we have areas where we've not been healed or we've lost people that we thought would come through a sickness. Lord, Set us free from the self-sabotaging and beating ourselves up that rather we would just make our petitions and then leave our petitions with you. In Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and you've, you've been beating yourself up because you've not been healed and you're frustrated with yourself or with God or you've beaten yourself up because this area of your life has not worked out and you feel, well, maybe that's an embarrassment to the kingdom or you're beating yourself up because, Lord, I did everything and still it didn't work and I feel a failure, I feel I let you down, I told people it would work but it didn't. Whatever it is, I want to give you the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer because you need to be set free.
We need to be free, free in Jesus' mighty name.